Yeah, hi, it's Jay Labine. I'm the Chief Medical Officer of NAVA Health and really pleased today to have Dr. Charles Pugh. Um, uh, Chuck and I have, have built a bit of a friendship over the last year or two and I'm really happy to be able to talk to, to Chuck about some of the cultural aspects of um, you know aging and and how nursing homes uh, kind of fit into the cultural aspects of aging. Uh, Charles is the medical director at Massachusetts General Brigham Center for Population Health, the care continuum programs, also a geriatric uh, medical attending at MGH, and assistant professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. So um, we're just gonna start off with a little profile, um, and I'd really love to hear uh, Chuck, uh, like why, why did you actually go into medicine when you were kind of choosing your career? Right. Uh, so no, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for the opportunity to, um, uh, to be on this uh, uh, interview. Uh, so I, uh, uh, my major in, in undergrad was bioengineering. Um, but there's something very special about medicine. I think it's a, a, a very unique field in its ability to combine science with um, a very human touch. I, I think that that's uh, quite unique uh, in, 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 you know, in terms of uh, fields to go into. Um, often you have one or the other, but um, yeah, I think it's that combination that really drew me to medicine and uh, to be able to like take science, apply it to uh, some of the most intimate, deepest parts of humanity. And of course, the altruistic part. So um, I think it's a really unique aspect of, uh, of medicine and, uh, and, it has, it, and it has become very true. Like I've experienced it that very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, medicine as a healing art um, and also grounded in like science, yep. intense science is just a fascinating and challenging career. Yep. So, so was there anything, uh, Chuck, in your early childhood that kind of drew you towards, uh, you know, kind of the altruistic um, type of uh, career? Um. Not really. I mean, my parents, uh, uh, so I was born in the States and my parents were immigrants uh, mm -hmm. from Taiwan. Um, and, um, uh, and, you know, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, valued education and stuff, but I kind of drew myself to this area. I think, you know, uh, uh, education was highly valued and, you know, the professions like, uh, like medicine were, you know, uh, you know, highly valued and stuff. Although I was, uh, no one else in my family went into medicine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, uh, I, I think it just uh, um, has been there as an undercurrent. Um, and I think in terms of geriatrics, my interest in aging, mm -hmm. um, that is kind of steeped in the Asian culture uh, in terms of uh, honoring um, our, our our elders. Um, I remember that's a very Confucian kind of um, perspective, and I saw that very much growing up. Uh, you know, where I grew up uh, here in yeah. the states. Yeah, 
Well, that's a that's a great segue, uh, Chuck, to really us exploring the cultural aspects of aging, you know, in the United States. And you know, I'm just going to ask you, kind of in a general way, like, can you give me an assessment of just how, like, our culture, you know, is challenged by, um, you know aging and dealing with this demographic of um, yeah. aging, you know, seniors? Yeah. Um, great question. And I think the first thing I usually like to kind of try and articulate is that aging in our society is actually a very new phenomenon. Um, it, it's, it was only a few, it hasn't been many generations where people um, expected to live into old age. This has really been a phenomenon of the last 100, 150 years. Um, and uh, uh, that is a result of many factors, uh, you know, but um, we have not wrapped our heads around this. We talk about this, we kind of say it as a side note, but uh, just in the last 150 years, our life expectancy in you know the developed world uh, has basically doubled from 30 to 40 to uh, 70 to 80 just in the last 150 years and that is like for thousands of years um, we have not realized this and it is it is impacting us tremendously and 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 so um, we just have not experienced aging to the degree that we are experiencing now and will continue in the next 40, 50, 40 years. Do you think our medical system, even our, um, our healthcare mentality has kept pace with that remarkable, you know, increase in longevity? Like have, have we as a healthcare system made the adjustments to, take care of a population of um, elderly? I think it has, but the, it, the gap is widening between what our health system is designed to do and with the needs of an aging population. And it goes back to what aging uh, does to a person. And our system um, is uh, very facility-based and um, uh, hospitals, um, and it has emerged. That, that story emerged, um, you know, uh, about uh, in, the, in the 1950s, uh, where hospitals were really uh, promoted to be uh, a place where uh, care was uh, advanced. And it was because um, much of our advancement in medical sciences was around organs and disease-specific understanding and pathology. These are, this is one of the huge reasons why uh, we have people uh, now living into older age. And now uh, our organ specific reductionist approach to medical care will only get you so far when you're coming to talking about aging and frailty. Um, the ability to try to piece together a person as a confluence of their individual conditions 
it will not work. But that is kind of how our whole medical system has been designed, which is around you know um, disease-specific uh, approach and and specialties. In older age, it all comes together, and it's if, if you continue to use that framework, um, it's it's not going to work. It's almost like a double-edged sword where you know the advances in specialty care have been tremendously beneficial to you know being able to um, do some really phenomenal uh, work you know like in my background I was a did renal transplantation and boy that is like you know being able to do that and provide that as a benefit for uh, population really uh, is tremendous but on the the counter of this is that you're so specialized that you don't understand the entire individual well enough and all of their needs. Um, can you um, help us understand how population health works to um, bring a more person-centered approach to um, you know care? Sure, I'll try and do this. So. Your example as a transplant surgeon is perfect, um, you know, and, and I think um, the condition, the clinical condition, I would say kind of captures what aging is, is frailty. Uh, frailty is emerging as a, an actual syndrome. Uh, and uh, when you look at frailty, it's a, it's a condition, like many syndromes, where uh, it's multiple factors that are part of that. And, and that's not something we're used to seeing in, in, in our approach to, to medical, advanced medical specialty care. Realty mm -hmm. is a comprehensive look at a person, looking at a combination of medical, physical, functional, uh, even cognitive, and just mm -hmm. overall picture of a person and uh, I believe that frailty could serve as a clinical framework for us to approach patient-centered care that is very, very relevant to aging, okay? So frailty, as we know, yeah. and it, it's, a, it's a condition of, it, of, of increased um, vulnerability, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, from a population health point of view, uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, evidence to say that frailty is a huge risk factor that drives, um, you know, a cost of care and utilization. Yeah. Um, it's a complex, frailty is a complex syndrome. And in population health, you know, that uh, a lot of focus is around how do we, you know, best care for complex populations that, you know, as we know, uh, 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 actually is where a lot of healthcare spending is concentrated, yep. okay? Um, and, you know, I think many uh, uh, um, population health um, approaches have been in dealing with complex populations, and, but it's kind of missing the clinical part, which I feel as a geriatrician, frailty helps to serve as a, as a really nice clinical framework. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you should bring up frailty because, you know, uh, as you know, we all know that when somebody's hospitalized, um, as you were saying, like hospitals have become 
over time, the epicenter for um, medical care, I'll say, right? Um, previous to the development of hospitals, doctors went out, you know, to care for people in their homes. Um, and it was, you know, interesting how this change over time has, you know, been really focused on facility-based care. Well, frailty, you know, after leaving the hospital, this is where the industry of rehabilitation in um, nursing homes have really, you know, you know, it came that transition to get back to the community. I'd love to hear a little more about kind of how you think about the facility-based uh, rehabilitation care to help with, you know, what you just talked about is that frail seniors do need re rehabilitation and what opportunities do we have, you know, beyond um, both within nursing home and then beyond? Yeah, great question. A lot of the things uh, you mentioned, uh, I would classify as site of care. Mm -hmm. um, these are the sites of care that our policy current medical system has supported. You know, the hospital is like the epicenter. But we know that there's, you know, pre-acute, uh, so different phases of a person's journey through healthcare system. Um, but, you know, there's the primary care, urgent care, ED, hospital. So we all know these sites of care, as I call the continuum of care, okay? We know that complex patients and especially frail older patients, they are the biggest users of this site of care, okay? Um, but now it's really raising the question, like how really effective is this current construct of facility-based care? All of this care continuum, the site of care, is trying to deliver right patient to the right deliver right care to the right patient at the right time, okay? Mm -hmm. But we all know now that this current construct is not doing it. It's inflexible. Mm -hmm. It is really not patient-centered. Mm -hmm. It is expensive. And it is just a recurrent revolving door, Yeah. okay? And when it comes to a complex, frail patient, these are patients who like require many more options to deliver truly right patient at the right time. We, instead of these five areas of typical care, we probably need triple as many options. Mm -hmm. And the whole hypothesis of population health is that if you can truly deliver right care at the right time, it is the high value care. It is cost-effective patient-centered care. But our system is not designed to do that. And that's what is very exciting about population health. Um, and the reason why we need to do this is because in a complex patient, again, our system is so focused on the medical stuff. Yep. <laughs> but we know that complex patients, they've got multi-dimensional things evolving all the time and, you know, I, I think like I like to use this analogy as whack-a-mole here, um, you know, not to be, but, you know, our system is many ways designed for precision medicine 
you know, like a, a, a like a Olympic archer trying to get the exact target right, like transplant. Oh my gosh, you know, it's like yeah. it is like fifty hundred steps that you have to get exactly right. Mm -hmm. But for complex care, it it's it's you 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 address one thing and it pops up somewhere else. And it's just, and, and so the approach is very different. You need to have a system that really wraps around this patient. And, and that system needs to have multiple avenues to deliver that care to that patient. Many more than what we currently have. Yeah. I really like the way you frame out that, you know, the current system has so much inflexibility, like mm -hmm. not flexible enough, whereas complex frail seniors need a more flexible a more agile you know system with many many more options that would be person-centered um you know i'd be interested to just hear i mean how you think covid may either accelerate or may um inhibit like the movement to this system that you're envisioning, you know, is there tailwinds or headwinds with uh, COVID? Mm. I hope that there are headwinds here and I'll just explain how I, how I look at COVID in terms of aging yeah. and our experience with, with, so first of all, we know that COVID more than in any other population impacted the older population. Okay, counted for basically all of, mostly all of the deaths and adverse outcomes. Okay, but the tip of the like, the 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 ultimate evidence is uh, in in the in in the nursing home population. Okay, we know that uh, you know nursing homes were devastated. The population of nursing homes and and a nursing home population basically accounted for about 60% of all COVID deaths. So just get this, yeah. nursing home population in the United States makes up less than 1% of the entire population. 1.5 million people live in nursing homes in the US, okay? They accounted for 60% of all COVID deaths. Yeah. Okay? So from a cultural perspective, it's like what happened there? Okay, now who lives in nursing homes? It, they are the oldest, most frail people of our society. Nursing homes um, are really the last place where many people, um, it's the last residence before they die, okay? So nursing homes I see as a picture of how we as a society think about aging, okay? Um, nursing homes need to be, there are people who need nursing homes, our population. And yet what happened? Well, nursing homes uh, have been for decades, you know, really under-resourced. They've been ground down and they created the perfect storm for what happened. The reason is because nursing homes exactly where are the people who live there need very close contact to do their ADLs. Yeah. And they, they live very closely together because that's the way our policy has supported this. 
okay? And they're large nursing homes. They're kind of large, okay? And it, it is basically a, you know, it, it, and, and I'll just be honest, I, I, uh, um, nobody wants to go to a nursing home. No. Nobody. No, and nobody wants to go moving forward. No. But there's a need for nursing homes, and it's a, it's a wake-up call to see how nursing homes, um, it, and in the bigger context of our aging population, um, uh, need to fit into how we as society think about aging. Uh, you know, and, and so I think that uh, it, it, the, the COVID just exposed the, uh, the most vulnerable of our aging population. And it's a wake up call. And it yeah, exposes a lot. Yeah. And, I, and I, li I like the way you articulate that because pre COVID and how we, you know, um, I'll say in a general broad term, treated these vulnerable seniors mm -hmm. um, was really, um, really lacking. Uh, we, from a cultural perspective uh, in the U.S., to have you know this type of care pre-COVID, right? Where mm -hmm. it was, we would say that the care model for that was suboptimal, you know, mm -hmm. nicely, and the business model was also like malaligned, 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 and so I'm like really interested in how COVID will um, kind of force us to re-examine yes. care for frail seniors who need like, I guess, really extensive or really intense care like a nursing home can provide. Mm -hmm. Could we get a business model and a care model that's you know different than facility-based care? So Exactly, and, and, and I think, Again, this whole thing is it's part of the bigger picture of how we as a society really want to think about aging uh, because in the next 40 years, the population of people in the U.S. over 85, it, it, it is, it's going to uh, triple or quadruple. That's right. That's right. Okay. I mean, and, you know, we, this is our future. This mm -hmm. is our future. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I hope that this conversation about nursing homes, nursing homes is the wake up call, but how do we think about aging in, in communities? Because I see, you know, this is being tied very much to how we in our communities think about aging. And, um, you know, I, we have not, I think that there, it speaks to kind of the ageism that's been there for a long time. Um, but, you know, just imagine if boarding schools, not nursing homes were the COVID hotspots. Okay. Would we have allowed like boarding schools to just lock children inside and, and, and like prevent them from seeing their families? Like we, we never, that would like, no way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet like right now, a lot of uh, uh, openings have happened allowed for society, but nursing homes are still like kind of the most severely restricted places. Yeah. You know, you bring up a great point around just how to, you know, protect, you know, the frail elderly in the time of COVID, but then also just the 
the consequence of you know doing it in a lockdown fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I wish we had like another hour to talk through this, um, and I I'm really thankful, uh, Chuck, that you can bring forward such a really insightful um, uh, perspective on aging, you know, in our culture and how aging and culture and patient-centered care, which as you described is more than the medical care, it's the comprehensive care of a patient and our healthcare system really need to rethink moving forward. Yeah, Um, I think there's great opportunity I, th- yeah. I think there's great opportunity. Uh, we have the, 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 the experts to kind of figure this out and, um, you know, but it, it, it is going to be, a, 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 a there's, there's a gap to kind of align the policy and the care systems. Um, but I, I, I hope that, um, you know, uh, we will continue this journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you.